0: Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The good news about COVID is fatalities from the disease are generally on the decline. The bad news is there continue to be surges of infections and the disease continues to carry risks. Among the threats is what's known as long COVID. Some infected people continue to experience symptoms for months. A few suffer problems for years. They range from irritating to debilitating and medical professionals are still trying to figure it all out. Today we'll get a rundown of where we are in the pandemic and what some of the realities of COVID we'll have to cope with are. We're back right after the news.
1: This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Alaska Native leaders are concerned about climate and environmental issues. Those were among discussions last week at the National Congress of American Indians midyear Gathering in Anchorage. As Emily Schwing reports, leaders in Alaska and other states are seeing wildfires having an impact on their communities. Earlier this month,
2: a wildfire burning in western Alaska forced the evacuation of more than 100 residents who live in St. Mary's, a small Yupik village located more than 400 miles west of Anchorage near the Yukon River. George Beans is the president of Upiat of Androvsky, one of two tribes in the village.
3: As you know, uh, we're dealing with a fire, uh, a pretty big fire at home, and I think that climate change has a lot to do with these fires that are popping up, and it's all over. It's just too dry.
2: Beans said it was tough for him to decide if he should leave the village for the NCAI conference in Anchorage.
3: Well, first of all, we had pre-registered, and we invested a lot of uh, finances into coming to this meeting. We sent three tribal uh, council members. Um, They address a lot of issues here, and uh, there's a lot of uh, intercommunication between each others, and that's um, that's why I think it's important we get a lot of information and we can seek some help if, when, you know, when we do need to, in different areas that we need help. In.
2: At more than 160,000 acres, the East Fork Fire is the largest ever to burn in Alaska's Yukon-Kuskokwim Delta region. It's also the largest tundra fire the state has seen in decades. As of Sunday, fire officials said they'd reached their objectives to contain the blaze. For National Native News, I'm Emily Schwing.
1: A new art installation in Eugene, Oregon has visitors gazing at art that in turn gazes right back. KLCC's Brian Bull reports on the culture-raising installation and how it recognizes the region's indigenous people. Flashback to
3: August 2021 and I'm on a stretch of sidewalk between a couple utility buildings and construction projects. Charlie Swing, director of Art City, points out what at first looks like an ordinary fence. 100 feet long, 8 feet high, and with individual faces.
4: Actually, two faces. Each is a youth and an elder of Native American and Indigenous people who live in our community.
3: A growing awareness of the land's original inhabitants, the Kalapuya, has helped Oregonians relate the past with the present. Tenepa Brainerd, who goes by TJ, is the conceptual artist behind the culture-raising project. She's of Coos Apache heritage and a student at the Institute of American Indian Art in Santa Fe. She coordinated photography of the subjects, whose images were transferred to the fence slats. I
5: thought, okay, maybe let's do like half the face and eyes, but then after a while I realized that for me it was kind of like doing Native American people just as people, not like full-on headgear and regalia, just see that we're here and this is us and how we look very different and how we look like everyone else.
3: The culture-raising installation is now up for several months and will be on display during the World Track and Field Championships in Eugene. The slats will eventually be taken down and woven into a new form, which will be auctioned to help support new art pieces by Native Americans. For National Native News, I'm Brian Bull.
1: The U.S. Senate Committee on Indian Affairs is gathering written comments on cannabis in Indian country through July 8th. The input will help inform the committee's work on tribal cannabis and for future use on national cannabis reform legislation. I'm Antonia Gonzalez.
0: National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation
6: with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. With so many organizations trying to help military veterans, it can be hard to find the right information, so AARP brings together no-charge employment and fraud prevention resources, caregiving tools, discounts, and more at aarp.org veterans who support this show support by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, working to ensure tribal colleges and universities are included in our higher education system. Information on 37 tribal colleges and universities at AIHEC.org.
0: Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Vaccinations have done a good job of protecting people against the worst outcomes of COVID-19. At the same time, infections are rising and many people are fighting complications from the disease. Among those complications is what medical professionals are calling long COVID. There's no one diagnosis for COVID that pertains to everyone, but symptoms could include major fatigue, shortness of breath, joint pain, and difficulty concentrating. They can last months, or even years for some people. Fatalities and hospitalizations for the disease fluctuate, but are lower than they were at the peak of the pandemic. Still, COVID cases remain a concern. We'll get an update on the dizzying amount of information with where we are at in the pandemic and learn about some of the long-term dangers. Please give us a call if you have any questions about COVID-19. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Our first guest has been on the show before to talk about health issues. Dr. Jill Jim is the executive director of the Navajo Nation Department of Health in Window Rock, Arizona. She's Navajo. Dr. Jim, it's great to have you on the show again. Yes, nice to
4: have nice to be on the show again.
0: Well, Dr. Jim, here we are, almost two and a half years since the first confirmed case of COVID-19 in the U.S. If you think back, is this about where you figured we'd be at at this point in the pandemic?
4: I I don't really think I would have thought we would be at this point um, in this pandemic, and most um, we've never experienced this sort of um, event before, so um, anything... That we thought would have thought we would have, it wouldn't have lasted this long, so no, I didn't expect it lasting this long and continuing on as well.
0: I would agree with you. I think so many of us kind of thought we'd we'd be pretty far out of the woods by this point, not dealing with some of these rising case counts, so it's, it's really concerning. So please tell us what's happening there on the Navajo Nation. Are you seeing higher COVID-19 case counts like other places in the country?
4: Uh, yes, we are trending. Um, we started trending a little bit um, differently. Um, and we have been, I think, trending upward in the United States um, since mid-March, it looks like, and so we've been sort of on the, at the same pace with the um, national numbers and um, the increase of some of these new variants that um, we're still trying to explore and understand as well. So um, we have been seeing a slight increase in Um, Here we are. We're still um, seeing different surges, and we're in in the midst of another surge.
0: Mm -hmm. And what about safety protocols, masks, social distancing, limited-in-person gatherings? Is the Navajo Nation still enforcing restrictions?
4: Yes, we are still enforcing um, our mask uh, mandate. We do have a public indoor and outdoor mask mandate that we still require, and we are... Um, still having businesses operate at 70, 75% of their maximum occupancy. And we also have um, restrictions on our gatherings as well. So uh, we, for example, some of our out, our social gatherings and traditional ceremonies, churches, youth programs, holiday gatherings, like just what we went through with Father's Day and any new holidays such as um, the Juneteenth holiday, any holiday, we still have restrictions of 25 persons are fewer. We do have um, an, an increased limit on 50 or fewer for recreational events, outdoor activities. We, have, we do allow driving gatherings, 100 vehicles as well. And so, one exception that we're um, considering this year is opening up the fairs. Um, we haven't had um, our tribal um, fairs um, for over two years. So, um, they also have their um, occupancy limits and as well at 50% for indoor seating and 75% for outdoor seating areas. But otherwise, um, this is the first year we'll have fair events, but with safety um, practices and re- um, protocols and encouraging um, vaccine verification for people attending the events as well. And schools, um, of, of course, schools are over right now, but they're, they also had some restrictions as well.
0: And regarding schools, what about graduations this year? Were many schools there on the Navajo Nation able to do in-person commencements or were they still doing virtual and remote types of graduation ceremonies?
4: Yeah, they did in-person for the first time where we just basically gave them guidelines that they can do high-risk graduation events, which are indoor events at 50% of indoor seating areas and also two hours or less. And then we had if you were doing an outdoor graduation event, it was encouraged that they do 75% of the outdoor seating area. But um, so those were some new um, guidelines and basically allowed the schools to um, choose which graduation event they wanted to have and um, having indoors is more probably more risky than having it outdoors. So those were um, guide those guidelines were provided this year.
0: Dr. Jim, what about summertime uh people traveling more people wanting to go swimming people wanting to just get out and about do we need to to continue to remain vigilant with regard to the virus during this summer season even though it's beautiful outside and everybody wants to get out and and have fun yeah i believe that um
4: we have to go towards some sort sort of normalcy, but we still have to be ca- um, cautious about those, and that's why we created some general guidelines for most of the events that are offered, outdoor public events, and those are just still continuing to practice the three Ws, wearing your mask, washing your hands, watching your distance, and then making sure if you're hosting um, a holiday event or some sort of gathering that the host isn't sick. And then also to self-screen, um, making sure that you self-screen and Know that if you um, have symptoms, um, that you aren't um, hosting an event, and also staying home when you're sick. So taking on that responsibility and having families um, make those decisions, and then ensuring that people um, get um, tested, and also the our test-to-treat program, which we try to encourage as a national program. But we do have COVID home test kits that are available in our communities and health facilities, and it is available in grocery stores, so anyone can make sure if they're um, gathering with a large amounts of people or you're wanting to go swim or anything, just to make sure that you're not showing any symptoms and also to uh, maybe test people or test yourself before you um, attend a large um, gathering or a large um, wedding event. As an example, there are probably more wedding events now this year more than before and just due to COVID. So we just encourage sort um, of that self-responsibility um, not only for yourself but people that are attending the event at the event that you're hosting and um, ventilation is going to be very important I think um, people might underestimate ventilation so I think we encourage people to um, consider opening doors windows and sort of um if you have a tent out we do have guidelines to make sure there's um, proper air flowing in and out if you don't have um, that a uh, capability and just kind of Taking all the precautions that you can, but it is doable to um, to participate in events, but you can do them safely. So.
0: Well, you talk about the, the, the weddings and I keep reading that there's just a huge number of in-person weddings planned for this summer and into the fall. And I think so many couples have just been, been waiting patiently, wanting to get married, but wanting to, to have a big celebration w- with family and friends. So now is the time, I guess, when people are, are really getting out there and getting married again. So that's exciting. And, and Dr. Jim, you, you talked about these test kits and some of them are available even in supermarkets. Now, are those, are, are those free to navigate? Navajo Nation members?
4: Yeah, they are free. We work with our community health representatives, um, um, which are also considered nationally like community health workers in our communities and they can help um, patients get access to these kits and they can help translate in Navajo to the elders on how to properly um, um, conduct their own self-test kit and making sure that they call um, the hospital early enough. The point is to test early. Um, and to get the Paxlovid treatment so they can um, not experience high severe illness or high um, hospitalization. And so we we recently have communicated with our healthcare providers and people are um, taking their, um, the test to treat program very seriously. And so although we see numbers that are increasing on the Navajo Nation, we have not changed our restrictions. Technically, we should be in red status, but we're not just because we don't see an impact to our hospitals. We don't see an impact to our inpatient um, beds and also hospital beds. So it is effective in that way if um, people understand that early enough, if you can get um, your COVID test and then you can get um, a treatment if you're eligible for it.
0: Dr. Jim, I know that you are on the president's COVID-19 advisory board. Can you talk about that?
4: Well, um, well, I, I was on the, the COVID-19 advisory board, which helped him prepare for the administration when he, um, when he was, I was on the board, we were on, on a board as he was president elect. And so that board kind of, um, uh, sort of went away after he became president and then also with, um, vice president Harris, but the group has continued to meet, um, periodically, and we did come out with a um, sort of like a white paper on the COVID roadmap, um, highlighting how to, how the nation can respond going forward in the next phase of the pandemic, because what we need is a national plan. And so part of that, um, I, my contribution to that with the um, pre- some of the previous advisory members is getting a, um, several national experts across the United States and putting a document together and many have found that useful, so I hope that the federal agencies state agencies and um, tribal agencies and not for profits kind of use that as their guideline and responding to this ongoing um, pandemic.
0: We are talking with Dr. Jill Jim, Executive Director of the Navajo Nation Department of Health, giving us updates and information, the latest on the COVID-19 pandemic, social distancing, test kits, other important details. If you've got a question, give us a call. 1-800-996-2848. Our phone lines are open. We're waiting to hear from you. And we'll be back right after this short break. The U.S. Supreme Court sealed marriage equality in 2015, but that ruling does not extend to tribal nations, some of which refuse to acknowledge same-sex unions. We'll get a rundown of what that means for Native couples who consider themselves married but are not officially recognized by their tribe. That's on the next Native America Calling.
6: Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian Country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian Country are Amerind's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at amerind.com. That's a m e r i n d.com.
0: You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about COVID-19 today and focusing on some updates. We're also talking about long COVID or the long-lasting symptoms of COVID that some people are experiencing for weeks and even months. If you have insights to share, give us a call. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Our next guest has also been on the show before to talk about health issues. Dr. Anthony Flegg is a physician with the University of New Mexico in Albuquerque and a co-founder of the Native Health Initiative. Dr. Flegg, always a pleasure to speak with you.
7: Sean, it's great to be here And, and Dr. Jim as well. Wonderful to be part of this conversation.
0: Well, Dr. Flagg, from the data that we're seeing and, and listening to Dr. Jim earlier, it doesn't sound like we're out of the woods yet with this COVID thing, huh?
7: Not just yet. Yeah, I think um, I, I, I kind of smiled as you asked the question to her. I think um, any of us medical or, or non-medical would be lying if we said this has gone exactly as um, you know we, we would have predicted. And in one sense, you know, maybe some things that we probably all remember um, in the early days of the pandemic, even um, you know, moving to the side of a trail because someone was coming, and 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 almost you know being scared of any interaction, even outside. Things that now scientifically don't seem to be of of any big risk. Um, so we have come, we've we've you know grown in in what to do and what to pay attention to. Um, I, I do think as some of your listeners may know this weekend, we just saw that the center for disease control um, uh, kind of made a further step to say we can start vaccinating the youngest children six months to five years old. So um, it it's, it continues to evolve. And, and I think like a, a healthy measure of vigilance mixed with get on with life as, as, you know, normal is, important because there are definitely risks to continue to isolate. I see patients every week who I really have to give a a strong um, kind of medical recommendation that I think the degree to which they are still isolating themselves is more detrimental than the the COVID risk that they might incur by getting back to, say, joining their faith congregation or getting out into public because, you know, there's risks with just the isolation and the loneliness as well.
0: Okay, well, that's good information to know. Dr. Flake, tell us more about long COVID. What are the symptoms?
7: Long COVID um, is something that, again, we we probably didn't even really appreciate until maybe I would say later part of 2020. Um, very specifically, it's when you've had COVID symptoms that last more than four weeks after your initial COVID infection. Most people, um, about 90%, have very you know short-lived symptoms. Some may have asymptomatic infections, meaning they don't even have symptoms. They test positive, um, but there is a group that we think more likely: people that have had more severe COVID to begin with. More likely if you were not vaccinated, which luckily an in Indian country that has you know from the beginning led the nation in vaccination rates, that's less of an issue. Uh, but those two groups more likely to have symptoms that we think maybe an up to one out of every five are long COVID symptoms, meaning COVID that has last, lasted longer than what we normally think of, you know, a, an infection um, like this, you know, similar to flu. Most people with COVID are, are over the symptoms pretty quickly. The symptoms, Sean, are, are really... Long and, and, you know, I'd say the people that I see that I think um, have long COVID, probably one of the biggest is just less energy, not feeling like they really regain their their full sense of, um, you know, vitality. and and, But in addition, maybe joint pains, muscle pains, Um, some people were seeing emotional um, effects like depression or anxiety. Probably a very common one is people that, you know, have lost their taste of smell, um, lost their sense of taste or smell and and kind of continue to not have that fully returned.
0: Now, Dr. Flagg, if a person suspects that they're suffering from long COVID, these symptoms that persist more than four weeks after that initial illness, do they need to come in and see a doctor and get a diagnosis or are they okay just staying home and, and taking precautions?
7: I hate when you ask me hard questions, Sean, man, (laughs) (laughs) you know, as as much as, as much as the good nitrogen and me want to, to, to kind of, you know, I think in general, say, see a physician, I, the problem here is that we don't have a whole lot to offer uh, those folks.
5: Okay.
0: I'm sorry, Dr. Let me just let me just ask you this. How serious is long COVID from what you've seen and what the data shows? Or is that um, another really hard question? I'm sorry. <laughs> it,
7: it is. It is a hard question. Let, let me let me go back because your first question was really good. Actually, I don't want to okay. see our elders and and individuals in in our tribal nations um, suffer. I don't want to see them sitting at home. And, and for instance, if they come to me and know no, I can't maybe magically make their their joint pains or their low energy go away. But I I can I can. Um, help someone through that period, and even just to have support and be able to, for some people, just naming, like, why am I so tired? Oh, you know, Dr. Flagg says it's it's long COVID. Just that might even provide kind of a sense of relief. So I, I do think if anyone out there, yourself or family members are just struggling, and you don't even quite know what's going on, the first thing might be to come in. And, and a lot of times, long COVID is really hard to figure out. Is, is it that or is it something different. So just a set of lab tests and having someone to support you, I think, is important. But if we if we ultimately think this is long COVID, we just don't have a magic, you know, treatment for it. Um, in terms of how serious it is, it's still a little bit kind of hard to answer that. I mean, there are folks that, that really, um, and it's very rare, but but folks that have some things, say, blood clots that have formed, uh, Sean, that are, are pretty serious, medical um, events that, you know, are, are from a COVID infection six months earlier. I'd say in the most part, it's more just people not feeling, feeling great and, and not feeling back to themselves. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't think we, we really don't know yet, like, are these folks with long COVID all going to get better and back to 100 percent? I think the vast majority who even have long COVID, which, again, is about one in five of, of total people um are are going to get back to 100 but it might it might be a year or two even before that happens
0: well let's learn more about long covid from somebody who has experienced it we have chastity salvador on our show she's a long COVID survivor community partner with a coalition to stop violence against native women a poet a birth worker a seed keeper and a farmer she's Akima pueblo Chasity, thanks for coming on the show today. Hi there. Hi, everyone. Hi, Chasity. Tell us more about your long COVID experience. Was it similar to what Dr. Flagg has described, apathy and lethargy, just tiredness?
5: Sorry, can you repeat that question? I turned my phone Uh, off. Oh, oh,
0: I'm sorry. Just (laughs) please tell us more about, about your experience with long COVID and if it was similar to what Dr. Flagg has described.
5: Um, yeah, it's very similar in terms of the um fatigue timeline i I was uh endured you know like six to seven months of extreme fatigue and it's like um tiredness is part of it, but it it was pretty bed bounding for me couldn't really move um I would walk you know five five minutes, ten minutes, and I would have to be in bed. For the rest of the day, it was kind of like, um, they call it post-exercise malaise, where it's like you go for a walk and then you come back and everything hurts that you have. It feels like you have the flu. You know, your joints hurt. Um, You even get, like, very, um, you feel like you have a cold. And so that was part of it. Um, But I think what is the lingering and what was the most or what is the most concerning i've been um enduring this illness for maybe i'm going on 14 months now over a year um has been just the impact that it's had on my lungs so i have been um having a lot of you know before this illness i was very active a runner farmer just you know, always using my lungs, always using my body. And um, now I have a very low lung capacity to where um, now it's, it's better where I can talk for long periods of time. Um, but before I couldn't even speak more than, you know, a couple sentences and then I would really run out of air. Um, and <clears throat> my lungs would really ache and hurt. And I never had, you know, any kind of lung issues before, never had asthma, never had anything. And I went through the, you know, the journey of going going to the hospital, being in and out of the hospital with this sensation of not being able to get enough air into my lungs. And um, it was sort of a phenomena where I woke up one morning um, when I just couldn't breathe normally. And so from there... Um, it just sort of continued. And at first, though, I was in the dark for a few months, not knowing um, what was going on. And I still haven't got, you know, an official long COVID diagnosis. But I've just sort of diagnosed myself in the sense that, you know, I've been to many, many, many practitioners, many doctors, I've been in and out of the ER, I've been just doing all this stuff, and then also, you know, I'm I'm a young person, I'm 26, so I'm like really into social media and doing research in that way, and sort of found my way towards the long COVID community um, worldwide, and just really um, listen to people's stories, and, you know, I was like, wow, that is very, very exact, and very similar to how my illness occurred, um, which was, you know, I I had COVID and I recovered and recovered fine back to to myself. And then it was until three months later that, um, you know, I was having trouble Mm -hmm. breathing and I was having trouble regulating my heartbeat. Um, I was having a lot of, you know, fast heartbeating and irregular heartbeats for for a few months, and I noticed that that was around springtime of last year, and then in the summer, when the, with the heat, it would really uh, increase it. And so it was like a, a journey trying to figure out if it was, you know, um, impacts of, of my heart not being regulated that was causing the shortness of breath, or if my lungs were actually impacted. And we still, you know, throughout this whole journey, still haven't um, pinpointed what it was or what it is. And so, yeah, that's sort of the journey that I've had so far. Um, okay. but yeah, okay. there's a lot more to say to it.
0: Well, geez, I'm just, I'm just so sorry to, to hear about this going back 14 months. So well over a year. And may I ask Chastity, were you vaccinated?
4: Um,
5: I, in the, when I first, I got COVID in 2020. Um, so that was before vaccinations. Um, And so, no, I wasn't vaccinated at the time, but then I did get vaccinated afterwards.
0: Okay. But you were already experiencing long COVID by that time, I would imagine, when you got vaccinated?
5: Actually, it was interesting, right? Because I actually experienced a lot of these right after I got the vaccine. Um, And so it's been sort of a journey of trying to figure out, you know, if, 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 it might have caused because there's a lot of research out there as well talking about you know a cytokine storm and just this ongoing inflammation that is happening from COVID, um which is very similar to you know a lot of post-viral illnesses that we could burn from from the past um and so that's sort of the way that i like understand what could have happened i i was like caught up in that what could have happened for a long time but i've had to you know emotionally and spiritually let that go and just kind of focus on where I am today with my health. Um, but yeah, so it, it, it's, um yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's part of my journey. And I, I okay. actually did get COVID again another time. Um, and it was a very similar, similar illness, but I happy to say that I recovered from that second infection. So.
0: Okay, well, it's good to hear that. And Chastity, I think you're describing everybody's kind of horror story with COVID. I mean, here you are a young person, healthy, active, and yet you still got sick and you had these long-term symptoms. Do you have a family, Chastity? And if so, how are they dealing with this?
5: Um, I do. I, I live with my siblings. I live at home in Acoma around all of my family. Um, and it's been difficult. It's been a difficult journey. Just, I think the most difficult part of it was the beginning. You know, the first six months of not knowing what is going on, and um, I sort of had to trailbla or yeah, trailblaze that journey for myself and figuring out what is happening. And you know, I talk a lot. I, I'm only an advocate for long COVID because I know of other people in the community who are struggling and don't you know may not be making that linkage to COVID Um, they're struggling with chronic you know a lot of chronic illnesses right now Um, and so yeah I uh, it was difficult to not know what may have been going on but now that you know we sort of or I sort of have realized that this is really similar to Long COVID, and I feel like it's long COVID. Um, it's it's getting mm-hmm. more manageable now in terms of in terms of care and in terms of help. Um, so okay,
0: yeah. well, Chassie, tell us a little bit more about your advocacy work with long COVID. How are you able to increase awareness there at Acoma?
4: Um,
5: well, I've been working with the Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women and. We, you know, we're, we're really seeing how that statistics of one in five people will get long COVID. And even if people don't get long COVID, you know, there's still, I think, a lot to learn about a post-viral illness um, in, in, you know, our Pueblos and our indigenous communities and how that may lead to, you know, chronic illnesses, um, whether they stay with you for the rest of your life or they're with you for a few years. And so, yeah, we're really wanting to bring awareness to that um, and also just, you know, writing about it, talking about it, sharing with folks ways that they can take care of themselves, um, you know, whether it's in post-viral COVID or if it's, you know, preventative measures to anything and just overall advocating for um, just everything, you know, a healthy lifestyle, but also advocating for adequate adequate care i think a big part of my journey with long COVID has been you know in and out of the uh, er i've seen pulmonologists cardiologists i've seen all these you know doctors who specialize in certain things and a big part of my journey was not being believed right not being Mm -hmm. being told that it's all in my head being told that it is just anxiety And I share my story that I dealt with anxiety before, I dealt with depression before, and this is Jesse. I'm sorry, we're
0: going to have to take a break, but I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experience. It's just really helpful, I think, for our listeners. We'll be back right after a short break.
6: Support by the American Indian College Fund, providing millions of dollars of scholarships to Native students every year. Applications are accepted through May 31st at collegefund.org or by phone at 800 766 fund Support by StrongHearts Native Helpline, providing no-charge confidential support and resources to Native Americans affected by domestic and sexual violence 24-7 at 1-844-7NATIVE or strongheartshelpline.org.
0: You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're focusing on long COVID today and you can still join our conversation. Are you still staying cautious and adhering to COVID safety protocols? Did you get COVID and are you still experiencing symptoms? If so, give us a call. We'd love to hear your story. 1-800-996-2848. 1-800-996-2848. Chastity, I'm sorry we had to, to cut you off as we went to break there a, a few minutes ago. But did you want to share anything else about your experience with long COVID or anything else that you think our listeners should know and, and understand about this illness?
5: Um, I think just that if, you know you're experiencing any new illness or you know you're feeling not well after covid just to seek seek care in whatever form that is um you know for me it's been trying to figure out what might have happened but nowadays it's more just taking it day by day and um you know trying to take care of my my health with food and herbs and the work that i you know did before i got ill um and so yeah that's part of the advocacy is just to make folks aware that long COVID is, is a thing, you know, it's real and many people are experiencing it. And, um, just to, just to reach out to someone and, and if I could be a resource of that, um, I'm happy to be. So.
0: Okay. And is there a way for our listeners to, to get in touch with you?
5: Um, there is, I could, I, you could follow me on social media. Maybe Facebook is the best. I, um, My name's Chastity Salvador, and yeah, I'm the Pueblo of Acoma, and I think another piece that I'll share is just, um, you know, we're trying to urge our communities, our Pueblo communities to continue to practice safety um, from COVID as we're starting to gather more together now, and so, yeah, I think that's the biggest biggest message um, from me that I can share.
0: Okay. Well, Chastity, again, please stay safe and, and thanks so much for coming on the show and, and sharing all this information and, and your life experience. Dr. Flagg, uh, listening to, to Chastity talk about her ongoing battle with, with long COVID. Um, it sounds like her her symptoms in her case is a little bit more severe than most of the ones that you've seen.
7: Yeah, Cassie. Um, thank, thank you again for for sharing in a very public way. I think, I think we need to hear more of these stories, um, and and just hear a few of the things that that I already touched on. The frustration that people aren't aren't willing to give you kind of what is going on with my body. I think is is really hard. Um, but just thinking of how even even our tribes and our, our tribal communities are going to are we gonna are we going to tell people like chastity that they are missing too much time from work and so they're they're fired from their job like we really probably haven't thought enough as a society or in a more health and medical way of how this is how can we um, very humanely deal with this group of people that that do have something real um, may not there's not a single test you know we I can't I can tell you, Chastity, from listening to your story, you have long COVID. So if it helps to hear hear that from a doctor, um, you you do. And I would but I'd say that I can't when someone comes in necessarily it in all cases definitively say this is this is long COVID. Um, and it's it's just it's frustrating and hard for folks. Sean, if you think about that right now we're saying roughly about eighty percent of the US population has had COVID. And if we use this one in five number, it doesn't take you a whole lot of math to realize, whoo, you know, we're talking like 40 million Americans, and and probably hundreds of thousands. Um, if if I were to say maybe 200,000 Native American individuals with long COVID by my my simple mental math there. And so it's it's a it's a real um, significant number of people. You think of that compared to one million lives lost, but I mean. Maybe 40 or 50 times that in terms of long COVID. Cassie probably has a more severe, prolonged, you know, case, and particularly a starting point of really good health that that she's just noticing these things that shouldn't be happening. But um, yeah, we we we're, we're definitely gonna need to think about how how we support these individuals um, in their jobs, in their their in, in the medical way, but. I think more. I'm I'm worried about societally someone like Ch- um, Chat being fired from a job because their their fatigue is such that they can't work eight-hour days right now.
0: Okay, well the the numbers you just shared, Doctor Flagg, 80 percent of of the population has had COVID, and and that extrapolates in, into Native American communities. And I, I think right now we're looking at about a hundred thousand new COVID cases daily, and, and more than a million deaths. And like you mentioned, so I think so many of us and and even policy makers and and key decision makers, like we talked about earlier, kind of braced for like, okay, we're going to get through this six months or maybe a year. And now that it just extends into two and a half years. And like you said, what about people that that still need time off? What about people that are still struggling with these issues? And and then you... Hear other voices are just like, let's just get over it. Let's just move on. Let's get everything back to normal and let's get over it. And yet there are these rising case counts. So it's a tough time right now, Dr. Flay in terms of like what what we should be doing and, and what we should be thinking about and Again, like I, I mentioned with with Doctor Jim, families this summer they want to get out, they they want to travel again, they want to go to the swimming pool, they want the barbecues and the Fourth of July celebrations coming up, and the powwows and the feast dances at the pueblos. And um, what's what's your recommendation? Doctors' orders coming coming forward this summer, Doctor Flag.
7: Doctors' orders. Um, get outside. We we know that the outdoors from day one have been really the safest place to be covid wise so you might think of a family gathering that was going to be held at a rec hall or community center can you move it to an outdoor setting Um, i think we're all much better right now at recognizing that if i'm coughing or if i'm not feeling well that i probably more than i would have in 2018 or 19 um, I might, I might say no. I'm, I, I can't go to that wedding. I can't go to that event. I don't want to get other people sick. And we may or may not have COVID, but it, I think we're, we just have a. Or I might go to the event and, and put a mask on and, you know, um, kind of enforce my own social distancing. So um, I, I think not to leave our listeners with a real oh my gosh, this is this this sounds as bad as it did you know a year ago. Sean, I think one one good thing is that. The COVID cases that we're seeing, and many people just in these last months have had COVID, are much milder. We're not seeing um, the the amount of people in more severe distress, needing hospitalization, needing a breathing machine, dying from COVID. So we are, as COVID has kind of progressed, it's gotten more, um, it's gotten easier to transmit from one person to the next, but it's also get gotten less. Um, severe in terms of how it affects the average person who gets it. Um, okay. I would just always, I may, might just add one last, just, just you know, take extra caution for those in your family and in your community that are at more risk, that if they were to get COVID right now, they would have a, um, you know, potentially harder time fighting the infection and, and really to protect those folks in our communities.
0: Okay. And Dr. Flake, what is the the latest on the the vaccines and, and the booster shots? Are are we going to have to keep getting that jab every 6 months from here on out or will there eventually be a vaccine that lasts longer?
7: A really good question, Sean. I think where we're heading is is similar to the flu vaccine, something that might become like an annual um vaccine where we try to guess the, the, the variants that are going to be most prominent, that's that's where I think this is probably headed. Unfortunately, we have not, the, the first kind of year of the vaccine, it seemed to be much more effective at um, preventing people from getting hospitalized and severe COVID or just getting COVID in general. It, it seems to be less effective right now. I, I The statistic that I understand is that in our recent waves of covid in terms of who gets in the hospital about 40 percent of those people were actually folks that had been vaccinated whereas in the say 2021 it was you know five to ten percent of those who were actually being hospitalized with covid actually um had had been vaccinated the majority were unvaccinated folks so yeah i think our i think we've struggled a little bit to kind of figure out um honestly i think the cdc and some of our nation's Best thinkers, Dr. Jim at, at Navajo Nation, are still trying to think of where where are we going to go next and and what's going to be most effective. I don't think we have that answer yet, Sean.
0: Okay. Well, what I'm really worried about too is is what's going to happen this fall and winter. And I, I remember last December, everybody thought, oh, you know, we're good, we're, we're through the woods, and then that Omicron variant hit and it just flipped everything upside down. What What do you think about going forward for the rest of 2022
7: yeah i, I think mo- sorry most of our um most of our our, our respiratory viruses like flu and COVID, are going to see spikes in the winter um due to our you know kind of social distancing we've seen actually significant decreases in the flu over the last two years but your your question is a good one i i think Honestly, we, we are going to probably need a kind of yet to be developed, um, kind of better, more nuanced vaccine that happens this fall, in order to to have you know assurance that we're not going to see yet another spike for the third straight winter, um, in the winter months. That that's that's kind of my personal thought. That that's not really based in necessarily um, what what medical science is saying, I don't I don't know that medical science is saying anything right now. I think we're, we're all kind of trying to figure that out. But um, this winter is is going to be interesting. I think at the very least we'll, we'll be doing a better job at, um, like I said, social distancing when we're sick and, and being more aware when we're sick. If, if we're really lucky, maybe COVID has actually kind of receded by then. But I, I do think a vaccine that is more effective toward the strains that we're seeing now Maybe one of the answers.
0: Okay. Dr. Jim, what are your thoughts going forward into the fall and in winter months? And, and there at the Navajo Nation, uh, how are you folks preparing for maybe another outbreak or another variant between now and the end of the year?
4: Yeah, thanks for that question. And I also agree with Dr. Flag, and I think there'll be um, some increases and in, just because um, we are unsure. I think there is always just the new variants there are an ongoing threat. And to the extent that it um, causes a lot of um, deaths, I think we're, I hope we're beyond that point, like um, last year's um, big surge around um, late fall into early January. But um, here on the Navajo Nation, Uh, We actually finally got together with a lot of the health professionals that that have been responding to the pandemic over a week ago um, that included tribal leadership and Indian Health Service and 638, which is tribal health organizations and nonprofits that we've been working with, um, as well as um, Don Hopkins and just kind of developing a plan and we're sort of um, planning for sustaining the response for public health and health services and coming together and just keeping this at the table. Our command center is still operational. We we, we meet on a weekly, um, bi-weekly basis now, but we have ongoing objectives to handle um, making sure that we get the message out for vaccine efforts. is very important right now, vaccinations, and now that um, the younger um, individuals are not able to get vaccines will continue to push that message and along with the test to treat, getting people to recognize that they can um, get early treatment is going to be very important and then having that plan in place. So um, having an application response plan and how, how do we respond differently now, um, because we used to respond uh, different, each surge, I think gave us a new opportunity to learn and how to respond. And so we're now transitioning to um, retranslating how we um, understand trans- community transmission levels. Um, I think over the 110 communities, we had about um, a little over 20 communities, I think um, recently um, that still had high transmission um, transmission amounts. So just letting um, the public know and giving them guidance on um, what we mean by high transmission and how communities can respond, and then having our own response. And So we're we're in transition of um, figuring out how we sustain this long term. We know that um, some health services that are very important that were delayed need to be attended to, but then also um, working across um, our our organizations and collaborating and and just knowing when to when our trigger points are to actually. Uh, put more resources into um, communities um, across the Navajo Nation. So that's where we're at.
0: Dr. Jim, for our listeners, where is the best place for them to go to get the latest information and updates on COVID-19?
4: The Navajo Department of Health webpage, um, you'll see our latest numbers there and you'll see our public health orders. You'll see, um, any sort of guidance that we have for our communities as well, and and also uh, basically the Department of Health webpage. We do have Facebook and Instagram as well, and we um, put information out there for our community members.
0: Doctor Flegg, would you like to add any COVID nineteen resources for our listeners?
7: Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's a good list. Um, some of our tribes probably have some very good local specific information that you may want to access. Um, but larger larger, I would say the CDC has been pretty good at, at um, communicating really um, simple messaging around say how to how, who should quarantine and for how long I think they've done a pretty good job.
0: Well, that's all the time we have for our discussion today, and I would like to thank our guests, Dr. Anthony Flegg, Dr. Jill Jim, and Chastity Salvador, for the latest updates and information on COVID-19. We're back tomorrow with a discussion about same-sex marriage. We'll check in on different views regarding same-sex marriage in Native America. Until then, I'm Sean Spruce. Stay safe, and thank
6: you for listening. Support by the Facundo Valdez School of Social Work at Highlands University. Now offering the opportunity to earn a culturally relevant clinical Master of Social Work degree without leaving your own community. This online MSW degree focuses on a small, supportive model with a clinical concentration. Students in rural areas, tribal communities, and or who live far from campus are given preference. Application can be made in three easy steps. More info and application at online.nmhu.edu. (laughs) Hey, <laughs> hey! The chimna quiznae.
3: Welcome to Leudyn. That's our Mjuehtamme. Is CMS program's available? Don't forget to call. and the Taijuian the young. Don't forget to to do the